0: Happy New Year, DSR listeners. This year, we're adding even more content and benefits for members, including a new weekly column written by David Rothkopf, more exclusive content, new shows and hosts, and soon, a new membership option that will include a mix of live and virtual events and interactive discussions. Members also receive an ad-free listening experience, members-only bonus content, an invitation to join the DSR Slack community, a members-only newsletter, and members-only blog posts. Membership is just $5 per month or $50 per year. To become a member, visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy. Thank you, and Happy New Year. 9, 12, 10. Hi, this is David Rothkopf, the host of Deep State Radio. For this episode, we're doing something special. Earlier this week, I participated in a roundtable discussion about how media, and in particular new media, can be used to help mobilize voters who are interested in the truth, democracy, voters who are of a more progressive or liberal bent, to use old labels, but labels aside, trying to look at how uh, we can offset the right-wing media machine and produce not just activism but awareness in America. So, NDN, where Simon Rosenberg is the the chief, and you know him as one of our co-hosts, decided to get together a group of people for a discussion about this. Simon hosted it, and the discussion included me— Tara McGowan, who is another of the co-hosts that you've been hearing each week on Thursdays or on our Thursday show, Joe Trippi of Resolute Square and Ben Mizellis of the Midas Touch. And all of us talked about what our organizations are doing uh, and how this can be relevant in the future to American political discourse. It was a great discussion, lasted about an hour. We're giving it to you in your entirety here so that you can uh, give it a listen, think about it. And if you've got some thoughts about what we said or what anybody else said, please get directly in touch with us, either via Twitter or at our website. Uh, We want to hear more. Thank you.
1: Hey, everybody. It's Simon Rosenberg here from NDN. Thank you so much for being here with us today. I want to also acknowledge and thank my partner in this, Mark Whittle from Future Majority, who you'll be hearing from a little bit later in this presentation. We've got a great event today, and I'm really excited to be sharing with you four people who inspire me every day, who I learn from every day as we all work together to make our party and our family louder and more effective in the coming debates in 2023 and 2024. The premise of this event today really started from my work 30 years ago in the war room in the Clinton campaign in 1992. The war room was something that came about because of the learnings that happened in the 1988 campaign and the sense that we didn't do well enough in the day-to-day information war, that we needed to organize our campaign differently to be louder and more effective. And so that work has been really part of my work in the family for the last 30 years. I'm a former TV producer and writer for ABC News. and, And I think that you know, as we innovated in the war room 30 years ago, I think we're in a period now where we need to innovate again. There needs to be a building period. The other side is louder than we are. They're not better than we are, but they're louder. And we have to get far more intentional, I think, about being louder, controlling the daily discourse, competing with somebody who's out organized and out hustled us and winning the debates that matter for the American people. We're only going to be able to do what we want to do as a family if we do better in the daily information War. And the example of that is what happened in this last election. In this last election, there were really two elections. It was a very wonderful election for us, a promising election for us. We had a bluer election inside the battlegrounds, where our campaigns were muscular and had lots of money and could control the information environment every day and be competitive or even out out compete the other side, right? But where we didn't have those muscular campaigns in this in the redder parts of the country and in California and New York the Republicans made gains. And so the admonition, the warning is is that when we can control the information environment, we can make gains. When we don't, we can fall back. And that's why this event to me is so important, is that as much as we focus on issues and getting right about this issue or that issue, we also, I think, have to collectively work much harder about winning the information war in the next few years. And that's coupled with something that has just happened in recent months, which is the destabilization of Twitter and social media. You know, We're in a period now that requires innovation and building and entrepreneurship, hustle and resilience and fight. And my challenge to all of you, as we'll discuss at the end, is to be focused every day on what you can do, not only in the engagement you have with these organizations and the other organizations you're part of, but we all need to become information warriors every day to make our collective work louder. So let's get to the program. Thank you so much for being here today. We have with us four remarkable, innovative leaders. We're going to go in order with Ben Mycelis from Midas Touch, Tara McGowan from Courier Newsroom. Welcome, Ben. Joe Trippi from the Resolute Square, and David Rothkopf, my dear friend, from DSR Network and Deep State. You know, these are all four people, innovators, leaders, entrepreneurs, who are tackling this loudness problem in different ways. And I think by the end of this discussion, you'll have a great, I think, understanding of all the possibilities of the things that we can do together. And so, Ben, welcome. You're up first. Take it away. Tell us, why are you doing this, Ben? You could be doing all these other things. What is What motivated you to do this? And tell us more about Minus Touch.
2: I'm still doing some other things, Simon. I'm teaching at USC right after this, but this has become my absolute passion. and I don't come from a political background at all. Me and my two younger brothers, just like most Americans, we were very frustrated at the political climate, and particularly our frustration grew at the media. Of course, on the one hand, you have fascist media networks, and look, we call it what it is here on the Midas Touch Network. You have right-wing fascist networks that are injecting disinformation into the veins of its viewers each and every day. That's on the one hand. On the other hand, you have large media networks that use outdated paradigms and both sides everything. Well, on the one hand, Donald Trump tried to overthrow our democracy. And on the other hand, President Biden introduced an initiative that hasn't exceeded as well as we expected it to do in the first one month. And so you have this very strange framing by the media and just calling it strange would be putting it nicely. So we got very frustrated and we just said, you know what, we're just going to start putting out content. We didn't know that it was going to become a media network. We just figured, hey, my younger brother was an editor at uh, a major TV show and he would edit their digital stuff. My other younger brother was a marketing executive. So Let's pull our talents together, pull everything together, and let's just start putting content out there and see what happens. And where I think it really started resonating as a network. And look, we're we're about two years old, you know, it was right after the January sixth insurrection, where we're just like, you know what? We need to do everything independently because we need to control the narrative. If we're relying on others to tell the story about democracy. Well, they've clearly failed at doing that. So thus the Midas Touch Network was born. And we started, look, with one viewer to five viewers to 10 viewers. And now we're doing about two to three million viewers every single day on our YouTube network. We're doing about 60 million views each month. So at this point, we're not only competing with large media networks. If you go our podcast and our live streams compared to MSNBC and CNN, we are almost routinely beating them in viewership. And it's not just beating them for the sake of beating them. And by the way, Fox as well. We still have some work to do to get to some of those primetime shows, but we're getting very, very, very close there. And on the aggregate, like we beat Fox's digital uh, pretty consistently. But it's not just about beating them. It's about giving agency to people who have felt abandoned by media networks, where media networks are no longer supporting and defending democracy, where media networks seem to just be okay with fascism. They seem to just normalize the fact that Marjorie Taylor Greene sits on the Homeland Security Committee or that if someone like George Santos gets appointed to the Small Business Committee or Paul Gosar. By the way, no one even talks about, for example, that that Jim Jordan chairs the Judiciary Committee. That's how low the bar is, where Jim Jordan sitting on the Judiciary Committee is just accepted as normal by the media, Right. There's absolutely nothing normal about that. And so at the Midas Touch Network, we call it out. We don't use the labels even anymore about progressive, liberal, or conservative because these right-wing fascists, they are not conservative. They want to terminate the United States Constitution. They are election deniers. They call insurrectionists political prisoners. They support global pandemics. So and the totality, there's nothing conservative about them. So by saying, oh, this is Matt Gates is conservative. He's not conservative. By the way, if you line up my views and values, I would line up with what's traditionally viewed as progressive and liberal values. But I believe I'm far more conservative than any of these conservatives because I want to conserve our democracy. And that is something that we're loud about and that we're proud about. And we're not just building a network like a sterile network that has no personality at Midas Touch, right? We are building a community. And on our podcasts, on our live streams, on our videos, we talk to the community about what they are doing as well. How are they defending democracy? And as I always say, the secret sauce, people say, well, how does Midas Touch Network get You know, routinely 2 million views every single day, 60 million views a month, 1 million followers on Twitter. We're at 830,000 subscribers on YouTube. How do you do it? It's because there is a need and a desire for this content. And if you speak to the community of people who are exhausted, this exhausted majority, you can awaken them. And I think that's what we've done at the Midas Touch Network. And that's what we focus on awakening that exhausted majority that loves democracy, that loves this country, that loves our constitution, not in performative ways, but by walking the walk as well and talking the talk as well, but really walking the walk. And so we want to lead by example at the Midas Touch Network. And I think the midterm, Simon, and how we met is a great reflection of that, that The large media networks were pushing a false narrative about the red wave, that it was fait accompli, that Democrats were going to lose. Oh, woe is me. And so we connected. I saw what you were doing online. We had you come on the podcast and the audience that we had together far exceeded the large media networks. And we gave people accurate information um, We gave it to them rapidly, accurately. We spoke the truth. And I think that was so critical there. And so also, and, and I'll leave you with this, because this yeah. is something that we also champion at the Midas Touch Network, are events like this. I think for far too long, groups that, and again, I don't like the labels, but for the sake of ease, let's just say progressive and liberal groups. One of the things that I found when I got into this space Sometimes would be very territorial over their little spaces. And so one of the things that we've always, you know, championed is the exact opposite of that. Whatever we can do to elevate other voices on our platform, that is something that we are going to do. And everybody here speaking today is also committed to those values. And so we want to tell everybody watching this, the Calvary is here. The pro-democracy media is here, and you're watching something special where your voice will not just be heard, but your voice will be championed by a new wave of media. Thank you so much for hosting Thanks, Ben. And listen, thank you so much for everything you do. It's been
1: fun getting to know you. And now, next up is Tara McGowan, uh, who I also met during this red wave journey that I've been on, uh, who I'm so inspired by. It's just great to have you here, Tara. Take it away.
3: Thanks for having me, Simon. And hi, Ben. Good to see you. Very excited to be here. Um, hi, everybody. I'm Tara McGowan. Um, I'm the founder and publisher of Courier Newsroom. We are a, uh, to carry on the the thread of what Ben was saying about hating labels, uh, we are a left-leaning um, local news organization um, and network that I started in 2019 with the first newsroom in Virginia. Uh, we now have eight newsrooms in battleground states across this country. Uh, we are in Virginia, Arizona, Florida, Iowa, Michigan, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. And we're going to actually be expanding the network for the first time in about a year and a half this year, which I'm really excited about. I started my career in journalism and then I left, uh, because I, I worked for corporate media for a little while. I worked for CBS in 60 Minutes and then did some documentary work and something that really bothered me when i was in uh, in the media was was not knowing the impact of the work and the journalism and so i got closer and closer to wanting to have a direct impact and that brought me into politics not too long after i started my career in journalism and then in politics i learned fairly quickly how democrats and progressive organizations relied so so heavily on paid advertising to get their message across for all the reasons that uh, Ben mentioned about the flaws in our media today, and there are many, and I'm going to speak about a few more of them. Um, I, it, Democrats haven't had the ability to push their narrative or their messages or even just the facts through earned media channels and these outdated paradigms, as Ben called them. And so they've relied, um, heavily to the tune of billions of dollars every year on paid advertising across television, radio, direct snail mail, And increasingly digital for a lot of work that I and a lot of my colleagues in the space did for a number of years to get more increase in digital advertising. But after about 10 years as a digital strategist running massive, I think very smart, test-driven advertising campaigns to support progressive causes and candidates, I felt that we were we were really asleep at the wheel because we were never able to gain sort of the offensive in terms of the, the narrative. The right wing media not only uh, evangelizes their disinformation and misinformation and, and red meat to their base that sows mistrust and hate and violence increasingly in this country, but they also are incredibly skilled at driving the national narrative that the mainstream media then picks up and then, of course, creates false equivalency with the other side or even just facts and truth. And that, that's meant that there is uh, a, a massive gap in just the understanding of who Democrats are and what, what they stand for. And also, um, even more dangerous is that journalists and, and media are not incentivized to talk about the good that government and elected officials do when they do good, regardless of what side they're on. Um, and so a lot of that information doesn't get to the American people. So in the time that I was running, Uh, Political ad programs on behalf of progressives and Democrats. I became really, really obsessed with a rather large slice of the electorate in this country, and I refer to them as passive news consumers. Um, And this is an increasing; it's it's at least one third of the population. I think it's much higher than that, but we don't have good data. And these are people who do not watch cable news. They do not pay through paywalls, so they're not reading newspapers today, which are reliant on paywalls to stay in business. Um, They don't listen to talk radio. What they do is they passively scroll social media and get information for free. And I know that this audience is incredibly savvy and active and activist. And so you know about algorithms. I don't need to go into that. We don't have time, but how they really, really feed off of emotional and salacious content and disinformation spreads very quickly. So there's a growing swath of the population who is not informed and are not proactively looking for good information. That um, relationship to information gets even worse at the local level. We have the shuttering of thousands and thousands of local news outlets and newspapers across the country over the past 15 years. It's getting much worse. If you pay attention to the media business news, every news organization, large and small, is, uh, is announcing layoffs right now. They don't have sustainable business models. And yet local news continues to be the most trusted source of information for people of all generations in this country. And so uh, when I started Courier Newsroom, I wanted to start it at the local level, and I wanted to focus it on this population. So there are about 14 million of these passive news consumers across the eight states that we're currently in. About 1.2 million of them are online subscribers now to our newsrooms. And we are very different from other news organizations in three ways. And then I can I can tie this up, Simon, because I know we're tight on time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first is this audience focus. Most media in general uh, builds their media, publishes journalism, reports on communities, and then hope that people find them. But that is not how our media ecosystem works today. You need to bring the information to the audience you want to build trust with. So we are very targeted and intentional about reaching these communities using things like the voter file and commercial data to find them where they are on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, using Google search and other search engines and put our coverage in front of them. Uh, The coverage is the second thing that's very different. Um, uh, This population does not read articles. They don't go to websites. So um, how do they get their information? Uh, Our reporters, we have trained them to distill good factual information and storytelling into social media graphics, into vertical video, skimmable email newsletters, um, and we're going to be launching SMS as well this year. And so we really focus on format. Can you get the information you need by scrolling passively? Can we reinforce that information? Uh, the right does this really well. And so the format is the second piece. We are exclusively producing for social media and email, not websites or uh, or traditional formats. And then the third and the last thing that's very different about us is really the political data-driven uh, strategist and operative in me, I can't really shake is that we measure the impact. We run experiments under our boosted news on social media and we actually analyze the difference between people that we reach with our news coverage and people that we withhold in a control group. We look and analyze the difference between turnout and elections. And we have proven through dozens of these in-field experiments that we actually increase turnout among this population. And an added layer of uh of value here is that when this population votes, They tend to vote Democrat. So we don't tell them who to vote for. We don't even endorse candidates, but we put the facts out there. We center them in the coverage and the story, and we actually see them increase their civic participation. So it's a different model. Um, We are going to be actually, I'm very excited. I haven't announced this at all yet, uh, but a little teaser is that we're going to actually start producing some national programs and products for communities like this one this year. So I would encourage everybody to follow us at Courier Newsroom on Twitter, or I'm at Tara E. McGee. You can throw these in the chat or sign up to get updates at couriernewsroom.com. And you can also find all of our state newsrooms. They all have their own names and social channels. So you can push your friends and family who live in these battleground states to follow and to share this content because that's how we're going to get louder and increase our share of voice and drive the narrative. So really appreciate being included in this group, Simon, and all the work that you have done to get us this far.
1: Tara, thank you. Uh- that was, that was awesome. And uh, next up, Joe Trippi. And Joe, who's been my dear friend for so many years, who's been one of my most important teachers going all the way back to way before Dean days. I mean, we, I did work in the Clinton campaign in 1992 that was based on things that he was doing in the primary. So I've been copying and following Joe for the most of my adult lifetime. And it's great to have him here and he's here I should say that we are on the platform. Those of you are watch, some of you are watching this through the Resolute website, and the platform with this beautiful four-screen format you're seeing is a Resolute product. Uh, They're important new entrants into the space. Joe, welcome. Tell us what you're doing.
4: Uh, thanks, Simon. And uh, yes, I've been uh, I've been following you the same way and learning from you. It's <laughs> been mutual for for decades now. And thanks for having us. And thanks for putting this all together. You're in Mark's leadership in putting this together and hosting it. Uh, look, Resolute Square, we've only we've been around a few months now. Uh, we do not view ourselves as left, right, uh, even wouldn't even try to to position on, on that continuum. And here's here's why, because really, and and Ben and Tara talked talk about this. We are not in a fight that's a left, right fight. It's not a conservative progressive fight. It's not uh, even Democrats versus Republicans. This is those of us who who are pro democracy uh, fighting this authoritarian cult movement, and that's what it is that threaten democracy and want to and want to wreck it. And so at Resolute Square, we're unabashedly biased. We are for democracy, and against its enemies. And so we started to build a platform. I mean, first of all, I I should go take one step back, too. The reality is that the right cult media has been built over decades. Uh, It was there way before the Tea Party and way before MAGA. It has been funded with billions of dollars, whether it was Murdoch at Fox News or you know, and then you have Breitbart, Alex Jones. I mean, it's a it's a constellation that was that was formed and built over decades. That, frankly, and we saw this with a piece that Philip Bump did for the Washington Post. In the Washington Post, that showed how that outrage machine actually actually drives the national narrative. So that so that when Fox starts out of the blue doing crime, 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 every half hour on the half hour, every 10 minutes, and t- every 10 minutes, that what happens is two weeks later, MSNBC and CNN are also jumping on the crime, 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 covering it as a, a, a major issue and driving it. We don't have that. There's no one out there who's investing billions of dollars in building the counter to that that takes it on that exposes who the enemies are what they're doing and so everybody on this on today are people who have been doing everything they can in their own way we need all of them we need to build that same constellation of taking this stuff on and that's what resolute square was set up to do we started to build this technology that you're on so that we could start produ- so that not just us this isn't just for us but that others could use it, that others could join the platform, that we could that we could cross promote each other. I loved being on the Midas Touch uh, podcast during the year a few times. It was great where we could really drive it. For instance, when you you know when the red wave and you were you and, and Bonjour were fighting it, both Ben and the folks at Midas Touch, all of us started to help and assist. But we need to do that on a consistent, loud level and invite others into this. And that's the most important thing I think about today is you don't have to join Resolute Square. You can join Midas Touch. There's, there's a flavor for everybody. And by the way, there's a flavor to be involved with all of them, if, if that's what you could. But it's about empowering all these people out there who felt helpless, who saw the red wave coming and needed to hear voices saying, bullshit, it's not true. Here's why. And by the way, tell your friends who joined in that fight. And that's where Resolute Square. It's not just fighting at the ballot box anymore, folks. I mean, we're doing that, and we have to do it. It's important work, but we have to fight the narrative. And right now, there's no. I I don't see any way that the current reporting, the current press, who they they're, they're still reporting it as a political football between two parties. That's not it at all. And what they should be doing, uh, you know, sort of paraphrase, uh, uh, Mike Podhorzer, who's a, a good friend of all of us. They should be laser focused on exposing the architects of the, the crisis in democracy, in particular MAGA, its origins, its financial backers, the agenda it's already achieved and the damage it's, it's done and the tools they're using to do it. But that's not what they're doing. And so Residence Square is out there. We, in, we invite people to to join us, to become part, you know, if, if you have a podcast. And I, and I think Ben has said the same thing. We can build this with Tara, with David. Again, this is not about any one group today. It's about understanding you have power to make us all loud. In fact, you make us all louder when you join one of us or, or multiple. And there are other organizations out there that Hopefully, we'll get this message that we may not agree on everything all the time, but we agree that democracy is at stake, and we've we've got to fight it, and we've got to get louder, and take the narrative away from democracy's enemies. So, Simon, again, thank Thank you you so much, um, and Mark as well for hosting this.
1: Yeah, and we're going to have a spirited discussion here after David and David. Welcome, Joe. Thank you, and thank you for lending us this platform today. We're glad to test drive it a little bit as in the early stages. David Rothkopf is with us today. David and I have known each other a long time. He's also one of my teachers uh, in this business. I learned so much from him. He's among many things. He's a national security expert. And I part of the reason I've spent so much time listening to David is this is an area I don't know as well. And he's helped me learn a lot in a time when this stuff really matters. But Tara and I have been guest hosting on David's network over the last couple of months, uh, joining him weekly uh, in the last quarter or so on Deep State Radio, which is one of his products. And so, David, welcome, he, my dear friend, uh, partner in crime. Take it away.
0: Uh, you can also see that uh, I have a lot of gray hair, and I, uh, we've been podcasting for about eight years from when I was the editor and CEO of Foreign Policy Magazine. But the DSR podcast, Deep State Radio, and then the subsequent ones we've created have been around for five and a half years now, which I guess makes us old timers in the podcast world. But we are, you know, we're a small company and we do a very different thing than Ben and Tara and Joe. We are a niche publishing or media company that focuses on expertise. We focus on bringing experts together to do deep dives on policy. We felt that looking at policy intensively with open discussions, uh, fact based discussions was extraordinarily important. And we discovered that in many respects, doing this via podcasts was a better format than existed elsewhere because it's a relationship format, because people come back on a week to week basis. And even though we're, you know, one of the world's smallest media companies, We expect that by the end of this year, we'll have something in the neighborhood of a million downloads a month. And of those downloads a month, and I know those are not like Ben's numbers, and I feel intimidated to be in his presence, but (laughs) um, of those, people are spending 45 minutes with each one. They're listening to these shows from beginning to end. When I was the uh, editor of Foreign Policy, I looked at Foreign Policy, New York Times, Washington Post. People spent a minute and 20 seconds with the average article. So they were through it fast. What they're doing here is they're really devoting bandwidth to understanding these things. And I think, in this general mission that all of us share, and as everybody has implied so far, the biggest advantage we have is telling the truth. When you tell the truth about what's happening, when you tell the truth about what people are, when you tell the truth about what our policy choices are. Then you have the ability to persuade people that this is not a choice between two political parties, as Joe put it. This is a choice between people who want to help make America better and people who want to destroy democracy, promote authoritarianism, promote minority rule in the United States, promote less tolerance, less good, and less progress. And we try to do that by drilling down in foreign policy, economic policy, health policy, and we are going to grow that. And our strategy regarding our, our small group, uh, and I encourage any of you to reach out to us at the DSR network if you'd like to learn more about it is to create a network of podcasts from people who are like-minded and use the network to help amplify and grow those podcasts. The final point that I want to make though, has to do with the pace of change. When Simon and I got to know each other right in the very beginning of the Clinton administration, we were one year out from the invention of the World Wide Web. Twitter was invented two years before Barack Obama ran for president. TikTok was launched when Donald Trump was running for president. These platforms have gone from being nothing to being platforms that more voters under 30 trust these platforms than trust traditional platforms. And two-thirds, or actually eight out of 10 Americans, get their news from new social platforms every single day. Uh, so the pace of change is rapid. And we can expect between now and 2024, more platforms, new approaches, more comfort with uh, newer ones like TikTok. and. I think that that's going to continue onward for a while. Why is the pace of change important? Because it has been empowering to you. It used to be that the people who controlled media were the people who had the capital to build distribution networks to distribute the media. The distribution is free now. The distribution is free via the media. The platforms for translating your ideas and putting them out there in studio-quality video, studio-quality sound, They're free now. That means each and every one of you has the opportunity to make a difference, to reach millions of people or thousands of people. We talked about this, Simon, you and Tara and I on the podcast. During a campaign, if you're reaching a thousand and each one of them is reaching a thousand, you are more powerful than most of the opinion leader media that existed 20 years ago. That is awesome. And it, there is no price of entry. Now, you should follow Ben and Tara and Joe and Simon to learn how to do that better. But you, as an individual, can have, I mean, look at Simon's numbers on Twitter during the red wave thing. Even I, who I'm just a gelubby guy from New Jersey, (laughs) during the five, six months in the run-up to the election, every month had 15 to 25 million impressions on Twitter just on Twitter. Now, why is that important? It's important because that's more impressions than I used to be able to generate at Foreign Policy Magazine, Um, you know, that had been around for 50 years. And so the pace of change is shifting the power of the media from big capital and big networks to individuals. And that is an opportunity for all of us to counter the right-wing information machine, to counter the lies, to counter the misperceptions, and to go out there and tell our truth, tell the truth, tell it to audiences, you know, as Tara is doing, niche audiences who are not getting their information needs addressed. And that builds a relationship. And when you've got a relationship to the people you're delivering news to, then you have more persuasive power. And so winning in 2024, 2028 and beyond is going to depend on mobilizing media activists, not, you know, grassroots media activists, not just figuring out how do you get on MSNBC. It's a pleasure to be associated with all of you. And I look forward to being able to to work on that battle for a long time to come.
1: Listen, thank you, David. Thanks to all of you. And you know, I use the term information warrior. We have to do we do have to find out a, a better term. And and one of the things that I've just in in the musings that we all have, right? I mean, I worked in the war room thirty years ago, which was this innovation attempt to sort of be louder, to win the debate every day, using new tactics. And one of the things I keep thinking about, and Tara mentioned this, is one of the great distinctions between the old media and the new media is amplification, right? Is that new media can be amplified. Citizens are are part of, they can be loud too. The right is very networked and amplified and we aren't. And, you know, as anywhere near as they are. And one, and that is a huge opportunity for all of us collectively in the next two years, right? There's, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of low hanging fruit for us in terms of our ability to get louder and be more competitive in the daily information war. And what I, what I would like to just turn to the four of you to reflect on is two things. One is, what are you gonna do this year? I mean, some of you have alluded to it, right? But what what is your plan for this year, for 2024? How are you thinking about how you're gonna grow, evolve, engage, you know, what do you wanna get done? And also reflect a little bit about this idea, as David and Tara, all of you referenced it, right? Is the role of the individual And that we do have far more agency. I mean, I I think that one of the things in my red wave journey that was so powerful was how people had lost agency. They had felt that it was inevitable that the red wave was going to come. We had no choice. It was going to wash over us, that the bad guys were going to win and there's nothing we could do. And, you know, I went back and looked at Timothy Snyder's book and, and the famous book and in his first chapter, his first chapter is do not you know, the the lesson is do not obey in advance, right? And about fascism is that and I think that part of the conditioning of the right is to convince us that there's nothing we can do, right? That we are overwhelmed, that they're it's like the Wizard of Oz, right? That they're loud and noisy and they're it's inevitable that they're going to prevail. And and I think it's why the what the four of you have done is so inspiring to me. Because you've said, you know, no way, man. Look, we got a lot we can do and and that we and succeed in making ourselves louder making sure our politics prevails. And so just reflect, if you could, and I'll just go in the same order, if you don't mind. It's just easier that way. How are you thinking about the next year, two years? What are you going to do? What's important to you? And how are you going to
2: grow your enterprise? So I think, Simon, it's about, to your point, creating a community. I think one of the things that snuck up on the pro-democracy community, the exhausted majority, is They were exhausted, and you had this community, this MAGA, right-wing, fascist, QAnon, very strange community developed, but it was a community. And I think people are longing for connections, and the way people get brought into cults, they could get brought into these negative echo chambers. And so by continuing a relentless amount of content, if you go on the Midas Dutch Network, It's not just the podcast. It's not just the live streams. Every day, there is probably 10 videos of all the main stories of the day that are on YouTube, and then we post them on the podcast, and then we do it on every social media platform. And part of the messaging embedded in there, though, is to let the exhausted majority know you don't have to be exhausted anymore. We're here. The Calvary has arrived. And let's be loud. This MAGA community, when you break it down, is small, but very loud. And so what we need to do is we need to band together and we need to have that sense of of truly shared values of what America is and not let these kind of fascists trample over it. It's about the language. It's about the messaging. But it's also about a relentless, relentless nature. And as we approach 2023 and 2024, and you hold events like this, doing more events like this is part of what our goal is because we need to now build the link. Like you saw what Tara's doing, what David's doing, what Joe's doing and what I'm doing. And they could all, they're all a little bit different, right? The way Tara's targeting with data, the way Joe's developing new technology, The way David's speaking to a foreign policy community, you know, the way we're building community and just getting the content out to so many people, you bring the skills like that together, and that's when it starts to become unstoppable. So how do we build those links? That's going to be part of 2023 and 2024, Mike. Tara?
3: Sure, I want to underline everything Ben said, um, and that's why I'm so excited about this group coming together. And there's others that aren't here. I want to lift up too. Crooked Media has done amazing things at podcasting too, to uh, inform and mobilize progressive activists, especially coastal activists. They matter. They can donate to campaigns. They can volunteer. They've they've built something really incredible over there too. And there's other niche. Uh, I, you know, I'll just call it pro democracy since we're all in agreement. These labels don't make sense anymore outlets uh, and that are that are really operating at a community level, which I think is really important. So I alluded earlier to a few things we're going to be focusing in on um, uh, to expand our model this year. One of them, um, I really hoped that we wouldn't actually need to do such really intrepid political reporting or investigative journalism and that instead our focus at Career could be taking great journalism where it exists or information and just getting it in a digestible format to the audiences that are not getting it. But something we have definitely learned is that there is a massive gap in local political reporting and also just the navel gazing of the national political media. The example I want to pull out is George Santos, who I'm sure everybody is aware of and talking about. Um, Actually, a local right-leaning publisher publication did cover a lot of his lies. And they pitched it to national news outlets who didn't take the bait. And he then was elected and is now a Republican member of Congress that contributes to Kevin McCarthy's very slim majority and is now on committees. And this is somebody who the lies, you know, we learn about new ones every day. And, And that's a real shame and that shouldn't happen. And so not only is there so much information that just isn't being reported or surfaced at the local level that needs to, Voters to be informed about who their candidates and elected officials are, Um, but even sometimes where it exists in more traditional formats, there's no pickup, and so we see a real opportunity at Courier to double down on hiring more political reporters in our states, um, given our model, and being able to really nationalize some races that should be. We have a newsroom in Iowa. We acquired Iowa Starting Line in 2021, a really reputable uh, news organization. The New York Times did a glowing profile of in uh, in 2020, and we take a lot of credit for just making uh, the race with Chuck Grassley tighter because we covered every single one of his town halls. We got national and international pickup of some of our coverage, and it wasn't nearly enough because if you look at the numbers in Iowa, Iowa is very red now. But if there was more infrastructure, if there were more resources in more places, to Simon, your larger argument about um, what happened in 2022... We actually could win a lot more and in places that, that a lot of folks um, that we know in national politics would, would, you know, scoff at, even the idea of. And so I really, really think that local political reporting can, can help us nationalize more of these races and put more states and markets and districts on the map. And so that's what we're hoping to, to do in addition to launching some national programming for folks like this.
1: As somebody who's been in the game here full time for 30 years now, it's hard to believe, One of the things I and I run a five hundred one c four and c three is that I I think the what's so liberating about what all of you are doing is that you know the the traditional political organizations have all sorts of legal limitations in the way that they can conduct speech, and what the right did for those of you the history of this is that you know the right the what they did was they first thirty years ago forty years ago allowed talk radio show hosts to be considered to be part of their politics, right? They expanded the definition of what a political of what a political party and a political movement was by starting with talk radio. Rush Limbaugh was reaching 20 million people a week, you know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, when there were 70, 60 million voters, right, in the country. And when I started NDN in the mid-1990s, it was amazing to me how what a presence rush limbaugh had in swing districts all across the country i would talk to people running in the hardest districts and they would talk about rush as if he was like a major part of their of what they had to deal with every day and this was pre fox right so part of what the right did which is they they created a way for politics to happen using media organizations and so part of what you're hearing today is a delayed response by us In many ways, that we were too reliant, as Tara said, on campaigns, on 501 C threes and C4s, which are deeply limited in the way they can conduct speech. And now we were innovating in the form. And this is why I think, Ben, one of the reasons this stuff is so explosive is that it there was this massive void. We were over invested in C threes and C4s relative to the right. And now we're catching up at a structural level. In ways, and we're not, as David said, we're not believing that MSNBC is going to solve our problem. They're not that, you know, they're going to be part of what happens. But there are a lot of Republicans on MSNBC, right? I mean, it's not, this is not, a, a, this is not one of, this is not our family. This is a place that we are related to, right? Or it's a, a distant cousins. They aren't our brothers and sisters, right? And what's happening is what you're here today hearing about is something that is deeply powerful which is we are taking control of our own discourse and our own destiny as people in the pro-democracy center left. So I turn that to Joe. Joe, 2023, talk about Resolute and where you guys are headed.
4: We're going to keep building to technology and building the community. That's the, the thing. Look, 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 where this all came to fore for me, look, in the Dean campaign, every morning we got up on our Dean, on a blog for America, and we, the governor would tweet, would, excuse me, post, and I would and people would respond to it. And I would call out people who were supportive of us and say, that was a great idea, Simon, or whoever it was, and we're gonna incorporate it into the campaign tonight. It was direct engagement between the campaign and and, and that movement and the people that were carrying and moving the movement and amplifying it. As David points out, that was, you know, years later the iPhone happens, years later. Facebook isn't on two two campuses. It's every everywhere, etc. All the different innovations and things that have happened. What the party learned was you could raise a lot of money in emails and use that money to buy more television ads instead of, in my view, investing in in things like what Tara's doing with Courier Newsroom. I mean, instead of investing in 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 establishing the narrative that you talk about, Simon. You know, we're Where Limbaugh and others were over these years building it. That's what Resolute Square is going to do because I actually believe that that engagement and I, and you see this with, with Ben and Midas and I think all of us are hitting that, trying to hit that mark. But I think we've got to invest in the technology that makes something like this that we're doing today, improve on it and continue to build it that it's, that there are platforms that others can use to amplify their voices. And build that community and that direct engagement with with those that are getting the content, seeing it that they can pass on. Uh, Because getting that information from your friend is a much more powerful thing than than a candidate saying, "Hey, look at me! This is a great speech I gave today." No, it's when someone says, "Hey, here's a fact, or here's a speech, or 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 a policy thing you should look at." And so that's what we're trying to we're trying to build as a, a a platform. With the kind of technology that others can use to amplify their podcasts, their content, um, and at the same time as Ben talked about, build that community writ large, where we're we're cross promoting each other. I mean, there's no these communities; they can be in different places, but we can all work together to make sure that when something like the Red Wave is it, it, bullshit is coming out. That we're you know that all our communities know and are amplifying. So that's what that's what Resolute Square is trying to do. I and mean, you know, there's one thing, Lincoln Project. There's all kinds of people, things that I've been involved in where we're trying to fight the battle at the at the ballot box or or in that you know ad space. But this is really about building a community and giving that com- providing the community with tools and technology that lets us build a network that really rivals what's going on out there. And it's for all, you know, every group out there, um, we want more of them. <laughs> we need more, more folks out there with, that are in, locally, I think is really powerful thing. And so what Tara's doing is, is real important as well.
0: All of it is. David,
1: you're, you're um, ahead. And if you can keep it short, because we're a little over time here. I'm, I'm sorry, sorry
0: about that. First of all, I'd underscore that what everybody's talking about here, which is community. New media is about relationships. It's about building communities. It's not just about the passive delivery of information from a creator to a consumer. And you have to keep that in mind when you're doing it. If everybody out there is being empowered by this, that's great. Learn the relationships, the secrets of relationships that Ben and Tara and Joe have learned. That begins with don't be a dick. There's a lot of media out there that's like, I'm really pissed off at the world and I'm going to vent my spleen. And that's like, you know, save that for the kitchen table. You want to build a relationship with people out there so they're going to come back. Our focus is to stick to our niche, and that means we're going to build policy verticals. We have foreign policy vertical. We have national security verticals. Yesterday, we did a great great economics podcast. You can expect a regular economics podcast. We do stuff on judicial and legal issues. We do stuff on the substantive side of political issues. In other words, bills and things that are pending in the Congress and how they're going to go. You're going to get more of those. You're going to get more pods on our platform. We're going to build out our network. You're going to get more ways to interact with those pods and the personalities involved with them. Because again, it's about relationships, and and that means live events that we're going to do. And you're going to see us on more platforms because everybody here has underscored this. You don't just create content. You find the platform that the audience is going to use, and that every you know, moment of video you've got can be distributed on your platform on YouTube, on TikTok, on Twitter, and use as many of those different platforms as possible. You'll see all of that from us uh, in the course of the coming year as we uh our plan is to double in size up by every metric.
1: Okay. David, we're gonna hold you to that. <laughs> Let me um listen, we've gone on a little bit long and I want to bring in Mark First, some closing remarks, and I just want to say thanks to all of you. For us to make sure that democracy prevails, we have a lot of work to do. We have to organize ourselves differently. We have to become a different community, I think, than we were, and we have to be very open to innovation and to new ways of new ideas and new people and new formats, new organizations. This is a time where we have to break down a little bit of the old stuff and build, you know, new stuff. In my view, And, and it's why I'm just so grateful in my own journey for having met and spent time with all of you over the last year, very inspired by what you do. And I want to bring on now my partner in crime, my dear old friend, my colleague, (laughs) um, Mark Riddle. Uh, We've been at this together for a long time and Mark is here for some closing remarks.
5: Thank you, Simon. And thank you, Ben, Tara, Joe, David, and all of you all who uh, participated on this beginning conversation about how we be more loud and more effective. For all those who don't know, I started my career working for Simon back in 1999. So I still work for Simon today, like <laughs> like all of us. But he's he's generally right on most things. And so I uh, really appreciate his leadership. I'm president of Future Majority. I'm kind of the quiet one, but we do a lot of data and research and work with leaders around the country. Uh, we were founded on the premise of we thought the data needed to get better. I think we've come a long ways in that. We've pulled now over 175,000 folks ourselves. But in the family, I think the data has gotten better. We needed to work on storytelling. And we thought generally that we shouldn't give the conservatives the basic American word of freedom and let them just kind of own it. And so we've worked really hard on that. And generally, I was hired to beat Trump and, you know, and Trumpism as part of that. I agree. I'll just kind of end where Simon began. We all need to be louder. We all need to embrace innovation. As David outlined, a lot of things that are in existence today didn't exist even a decade ago. We need to do a much better job controlling the daily discourse. Let's just look at this debt fight right now, which is primarily to court the Fox News base. Um, I think the White House is right. Let's not negotiate with the terrorists. I mean, I think we need to do better every day on controlling the daily discourse and winning the debates. And I think generally I always hear folks say, well, the party this or the party that or the party's got to fix this. I think what I want to close with is there's really no set. Everybody on this call is part of the party, right? It's uh, in part of the family and part of a community. And everybody on this call are patriots. For giving up time today and thinking through this stuff. And so take these tools, utilize these tools. There's a lot of experts. Tara mentioned other folks who are involved in the fight. I'm really proud of the work everybody did kind of post-16, going in, winning the House in 18, you know, everybody working together, um, helping elect Joe Biden. Heck, only less than 4,000 votes controlled the House this time. Everybody on this call is a patriot, and I think that's what we have to uh, get to, is we're one community, kind of one family, patriots trying to fight for the future of our country, for our kids, and um, if we do that and kind of row in the same direction, we'll be better off. There's a lot of work to do. Everybody knows the consulting cartel is very strong in D.C. and likes to control everything, but venues like this and um, outlets like this and talking directly to voters. And as Joe Trippi, who's kind of the godfather of of a lot of this, says, if you can talk directly to someone, you're better off. And so let's build an even larger community. Let's have millions and millions and millions of people talking every day, trying to win the control, winning the daily d- discourse. If we do that, I think we can build a better country. And as our title is, build a future majority. So Thank you, everybody, for your time, your expertise, your energy. Simon, thank you for your leadership, and uh, we'll all be back in touch.